Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day, for sunshine, and for Sundays. We love Sundays, God, and they have they have come to be the most important day of the week for us. Our souls are longing to commune with you, God, to know you in a close way. Your word is what gives us the information that we need to know about you, Father. You have explained yourself to us through your Son, Jesus. And so we look to the Word to understand. And today, Father, we come again with our hearts eager to know your goodness, to know your grace and mercy and the forgiveness of sins that you offer to all who would trust in you. And yet, Father, today, for as special as Sundays are, today is extra special. It's Mother's Day. Father, there is not enough time or enough words. There's not enough depth in our hearts and souls to say enough thank yous to our moms. Father, we ask that today you'd give us an understanding of why you created moms. And that we would all desire to be good moms and dads for your glory. Lord, we ask your blessing upon our time now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bible, we're going to go away from 1 Peter today. I'm going to preach on a mother's topic type thing. Uh, Turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. That's the third book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. The very first chapter. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can use the Black Pew Bible there in front of you, and it's page 940. Luke, chapter 1. Several years ago, about five years ago, I preached through the Gospel of Luke, and so I've preached this before. Then I went back and looked at all my notes, and then I didn't, I didn't preach at it at all from a like, uh, Mother's Day type theme, so uh, I wasn't able to just take that sermon and preach it again, so I'm having to make up a new one for you all. Um, and I don't like getting away from 1 Peter. I, I, I think there's strength in us staying in 1 Peter and week after week building on what we were just at, but... Uh, I like talking about family, and I like talking about moms. Um, Mother's Day is special. Um, I have a great mom. She was just here a few weeks ago when we had our baby. And I could go on and on telling you stories about her. If if y'all would endure it, I could talk for an hour right now about my mom. She's that special to me. She's more special than I could describe. I owe everything to her in in so many ways. And now that I'm a parent, and my wife is a parent, I find myself looking at my mom all the time thinking, what did she do? and How can I be like her? and What can I learn from her? Mother's Day is special to me in that regard. Also, this Mother's Day is very special because my wife, Valeria, is here today for the first time ever with our newborn baby, Liliana. She's sitting right back over there. And this is the first time ever that Liliana has ever been to church. And so I'm excited about that. And I hope it's not the last. And I hope there are many, many more to come. But that's special to me. Valeria is here for Mother's Day, and that's special. I went back and looked at everything I've preached on Mother's Day since I've been y'all's preaching pastor here. and I've never preached on Mary, Jesus' mom. So that's what I'm going to do today. I want to preach to you on Mary. I just want us to see what she was like 
And as you know, a good portion of our world is wrong on what she was like. We need to be careful in studying Mary. But Mary's fascinating. She's awesome. She's a good mom. We want to see what she was like, and I think you will be encouraged by that today. My sister sent me a picture just the other day of me at my five-year-old birthday party. And I'm wearing shorts that are shorter than boxer shorts. And I'm wearing a shirt that is, for some reason, cut off right here at my birthday party. And she put, what was our mom thinking? You look back reminiscing and you think, man, those were the good old days, right? But then you always ask yourself, like, was she doing that to make the good old days? Or was that just how she was? Is that just how we were? Nobody knows how to answer that question. Is that just the way we were? Or were we doing that so that 30 years from now that picture looks hilarious? You know, that type of situation. Mother's Day should be a time where we start to think and we start to remember. This week our church had a mother die. Miss Christine Stith passed away on Monday. We did her funeral here on Friday morning. And so just two days ago, I stood right over there and watched children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren walk by the casket and cry their eyes out and say thank you. I've told you often how much funerals uh, impact me. I like funerals because of that. But folks, there is coming a day when you will have to look back and measure your life. There is coming a day where you will have to turn around and say, did I do my job? Did I give it my all? Am I proud of it? And this is not to cause us to look back and say, well, I've, I've messed up. It's caused us to look forward and say, I want to do my best. I want to recalibrate today, set my total affections on Jesus, and give Him my all. When we look at Mary today, we will, we will get that. We're going to look at Luke chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 26, and I'm going to cover all the way to verse 55, uh, hitting and missing some of it. I want to give you three points today. Number one, they don't rhyme, no alliteration, just three points. Number one, Mary accepted the life situation God gave her. Mary accepted the life situation God gave her. Number two, Mary trusted the Word of God. And number three, Mary magnified the Lord her Savior. Mary magnified the Lord her Savior. And may Mary's example to us today encourage both men and women, husbands and wives, mothers and fathers to be the same. Read with me at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph 
of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And now look at verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Verse 38 of Luke chapter 1 is one of the strongest statements that we have in Scripture of somebody saying, God is God and I will trust Him. God is God and I will follow Him. God is God and I will set all of my hope in Him. He knows better than I. My first point today is that Mary accepted the life situation God gave her. I know sometimes looking back and reading this story and knowing that this is the Christmas story and knowing that the virgin birth is, 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 has been made into something almost glamorous, we, we miss the point a lot of the time. But the truth is, is that there was a young girl who was a teenager who was a virgin. She had never been with a man. We know very well what that means. She had never been with a man. She was living her life. She had been living her life faithful to God. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, for no other reason than it was pleasing and for the glory of God, she didn't earn it by any means. She found favor with God and God chose her to make her pregnant. So that, so that, so that God could become a man. So that God could be born of human and be 100% God and 100% man. God chose her. And while that is a very special thing and awesome, it would also have come with some difficulty. The reason why is because if you're pregnant and you're not married, people often will look down upon that. It happens. It happens to some of us. It happens in the world. It happens. Being pregnant is not a sin. Does everybody hear me on that? I so want our church to embrace that having children out of wedlock is not a sin. Being pregnant out of wedlock is not a sin. Can you hear this, church? We need to be better at how we treat people who have made mistakes. Christians need to be better in the culture at how we treat people in that position. Sexual immorality is a sin all day long everywhere. But married people are doing that. Unmarried people are doing that. Christians are doing that. Many of you are struggling with porn, and yet you are so hater towards people who have had children outside of wedlock. Can we change? Can we repent of that? When somebody is pregnant, God has given them a child. A gift has been given. And we need to embrace that. 
Yet, with that gift, there is often very much difficulty that comes with it. Mary knows that. It tells us right there in verse 29 that she's greatly troubled at this. Oh my. I'm not ready to be a mom. I don't even have a husband yet. I don't have anybody to be the dad necessarily. Her and Joseph are on their way to get married, but she's not ready for that. She's troubled at this. She's afraid. We know that she was afraid because the angel comes and says, don't be afraid. This sounds like a hard thing. This is tough. This is a big deal. It's going to be difficult. So difficult that you remember, we don't have it in Luke, but you remember in Matthew chapter 1, what Matthew tells us about Joseph, right? That Joseph said, oh man, my, my girl's pregnant. And I'm not the one that made that happen. But being a just man and a godly man, Joseph says he had resolved to go and divorce her quietly because he didn't even want to hurt her. I wish, church, I wish we would be more that way. The man whose girl was pregnant didn't even want to shame her. He didn't even understand. We should be those that understand. Joseph knew that this was a bad situation. Joseph knew that it looked like a bad situation. Joseph knew that, man, everybody's going to be upset at us. And if people find out that it's not mine, I mean, oh man, all my my buddies are going to ride me. I mean, this is awful. She's been cheating on me. I'm not good enough. You know, all of that stuff is, is in play here. Mary asks a quick question. How? <laughs> Let me ask you something, Angel. How, how is this going to happen? Mary was old enough to know how it happens. She said, how's this going to happen? There she says in verse 34. Angel, I'm, I'm a virgin. So the angel clarifies a little bit more and says, God, God's going to do this to you. The Holy Spirit. Folks, if you believe in the Holy Spirit, then a virgin birth is not complicated or is not, uh, not confusing. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes every womb have life. There are no children anywhere in any wombs ever born, ever made, were it not the power of God making it. If you don't believe that for your own self, then just go ask the lady you know who's barren. It's not in us, folks. God gives children. The Bible teaches us that very clearly. He makes them. The angel tells her that the Holy Spirit's going to do this inside of you. We know the Holy Spirit can do anything. He spoke creation into being. He tells things what to do and they do it. He tells nothing what to do and it does it. What a thought. Nothing become a solar system and it does. Nothing become a rhinoceros and it does. God can do whatever He wants. Our Lord is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey Him? This is God Almighty. And so the angel says that God is going to make you pregnant. 
And Mary's response is enough to shake you in your bones. Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. She speaks one time and says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? He answers, and here is her response. What a teenager! I'm finding myself praising teenagers every sermon now. I did it last week too. This is a teenager here that is told something crazy and outlandish from the perspective of being on her side. She asks one question, how? God explains and she says, "Let Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In other words, God, if that's what you want to do with me, then do it. Notice that there was not a pushback here. But, but I wanted to be able to graduate. But I wanted to be able to wait a couple years and, and save up this much money. But we don't even have our own house yet. I haven't traveled any. I still want to do this. I'm supposed to be going here later this year. Come on, God. Gosh, you mess up everything. I can't ever do anything. The kids are always in the way. I have no free time anymore. I could go on and on with the way us parents talk, right? We don't have this from the 14, 15, 16-year-old Mary. And her situation is more extreme than what ours is. Mary's not the one who found herself in a, in a romantic love that created that pregnancy, whether it was good or bad, the love. Mary is in a situation and none of it was her fault. And her response is, let it be to me whatever you want, God. What faith? Mary, my first point, accepted the life situation God gave her. Mary's dependency upon God, listen to me, Mary's dependency upon God, her hope in God, was stronger than her desires for her life. And I know you call yourself Christian, but are you that type of a Christian? That her hope in God and her dependency upon God was stronger than her desires for her life. Is God able to say, your life's not going to be what you want it to be. It's going to be what I want it to be. And are you able to say, God, you do what you want to do. I'm, the, I'm your servant, God. You're the master. I'm the servant. Servants love to serve the master. Servants love to say what you want to do. Who's the ultimate servant that has the best perspective on the ultimate master? Jesus. What did Jesus say when His life situation was worse than Mary's? Go and die on a cross in shame. Lord, crying. Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from Me. But... There's not any other way. Let your will be done. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. The ultimate servant who had the ultimate trust in the Father, in the Master, said, God, not what I want, what you want. If this is what you're planning for my life, God, I will take it. And we somehow have gotten confused to where we think we will plan our lives and we want Christianity to empower us to do the lives that we've planned. That is not faith. That is not Christianity. That is not how Mary was. Mary comes and says, you do 
with, you, with my life, whatever you want. Her dependency upon God. Her surrender to God. Her hope in God was stronger than her desires for her life. And we are not to think that she didn't have strong desires for her life. Most people that I know that are growing up have great desires. We all do. We start asking our kids as soon as they can talk, what do you want to be when you want to grow up? Or what do you want to be when you grow up? We ask them that. And what are you doing to get there? We, we, we train our kids to have big goals. We push them toward this. We work them out and we put them in these programs and we get them doing this and get them doing that. We want them to do things. But you've got to know that there will be many times when that which we are desiring will not come to fruition. It will not happen. Something's going to get in the way. God has other plans. I was burdened in 2003 when this church in, a, in an interview asked me if I could commit to two years. I didn't want to commit to working in Fairdale for two years. I wanted to be a missionary. People going overseas is a huge need. We need that. We need people to get there. We need people to go. Very few people are signing up to go. Somebody needs to go. I know that. I want to go. I'm aware that people need to go. And I'm okay with going. I want to go. The church says, can you commit to two years? I say, I guess I can commit to two years. But I don't want to be stopped from going overseas. It's been 12 years. I'm not overseas yet. I was single. Now I've got five kids in church. Sometimes God does things with your lives that you didn't necessarily plan or, or even know about. This happens with Mary. John MacArthur says that the, the, the quality of Mary that shines most clearly through this passage is a deep sense of humility. Mary was okay to say, God knows better than me. I want to ask you here today, are you able to accept by faith in God the life situation that God gave you? Many of us are not in the situation right now that we had always dreamed of. Some of you are still working, thinking, I didn't think I'd still be working. Some of you are frustrated because of your kids. Some of you are lonely. Some of you are sick. Some of you have it all and it's still not satisfying you. Some of you are confused. We're all over the place. Have you, have you thought about giving that to God? Have you thought about surrender? Have you thought about saying... God knows better than me. Would you accept the life situation God has given you? Mary does it so beautifully. Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And would you, would you consider for a moment that not accepting that just reveals that you're maybe not a servant of the Lord? Can you admit that here today? Would you consider that? Or do you say to God, God, if, if, if I can't have it my way, then I don't want you. And you, like I, know many people who will say that very thing. If God's not going to help me do this, then I don't want God. If God is that way, then I don't want God. If God is going to keep me from doing this, then I don't want God. 
Mary was not that way. Mary accepted the situation that God gave her. A situation that, yes, many of, many of you women love to be mothers, but nobody is signing up for that situation. I want to help you remember, that is not a, a desirable situation. A young teenage girl, not married, being, who is a virgin, being pregnant. Nobody desires that. And yet, in that undesirable spot that God had placed her in, she accepted May we be those who say, my dependency upon God and my hope in God is stronger than my desires for my life. That's what it means to have faith in God. At the end of Habakkuk, this small minor prophet in the, in the, at the end of the New Testament, Habakkuk says this, Though the fig tree does not blossom, and though fruit may not be on the vines... Though the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. In other words, everything in my life is going the way I don't want it to. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength and He makes my feet like the deer's and He makes me tread on high places. Though all of that looks wrong to me, I will trust Him. If you've lived life long enough, you know that many things look wrong. But we trust the heart of God. And once we've lived a little bit, we're able to look back and say, I thought it was wrong. But it's just what I needed. It's just what God was doing to get me to a place of surrender. It's just what God was doing to get me to a place of faith and acceptance and of growth. Some of us cannot accept what God has given us because we will not surrender to God. Mary accepted the life situation that God gave her. Number two, Mary trusted the Word of God. Her answer, which is just half of verse 38... Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary believed that whatever God said was good and true and right. And Mary, even in the midst of this undesirable position, believed, knew, trusted that if this is what God's word is saying, this is what I should take. It is what is best for me. Oh, that we would be people who say God's word is right. Mary trusted that. Mary trusted that. Did she ask questions? Yes, she asked a question. Was she skeptical? Probably a little bit skeptical. Did she doubt it? Doesn't tell us she doubted it. Did she run from it? Doesn't tell us she run from it. Did she hate it? Did she curse it? Did she say, I don't believe it? No. She asked a question, how? He explained. She says, okay. If this is what your word says... I'll take it. What faith? In John chapter 8, Jesus says, Whoever abides in my word is truly my disciple. There's a lot of people out there that want him and not his word. Jesus says, You've got to remain in the word. Can't you kind of picture in like modern day times? God trying to give somebody a, a situation like this. We probably know people this way. 
And they kind of resist, and God says, well, this is, what's, this is what I'm doing. And they end up with a life like Mary, and, and, and so they say, well, forget that, I don't want it. And if this is the life's going to give me, I'm going to be done with that. Happens all the time. People who don't like the situation they are, they think God has let them down or done them wrong. I have heard people say, quote, I have been too good for God to make me go through this. I wish they could see Mary's example. The Bible doesn't tell us at all that Mary had done anything bad. I mean, she was a sinner. I'm going to talk about that in a second. But we don't have her in any like situation where she earned this, good or bad. She just trusted in the Word of God. I want to ask you, is the Word of God a stone in your life? Is it a foundation? Listen to the words of Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, His words, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. What was the rock? The words of God. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. The very last words of Jesus' longest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, teach us to set up our anchor, our foundation, our everything on the Word of God. Mary says, let it be to me according to your Word. God, be true. Jesus prays in John 17, 17, Your Word is truth. God, let it be truth in my life. Let it be real in my life. Let it be solid in my life. Let my life be strong. Let my life look like something that is rock solid, backbone, steel, unwavering. Because I know that the circumstances change. I know that life gets crazy. I know that the storms come. The trials are real. I know that there will be a day when my life situation is not what I want it to be. What will hold me up? Because very few, very, very few people have it so easy. There aren't a lot of people out there that have plenty of money and plenty of health and plenty of happiness. There aren't. There are some, and I hope they know it's all by the grace of God. But you need a foundation, and the foundation is the Word of God. Mary says, let it be to me according to your Word. She trusted the Word of God. And this, I want to, I want to direct this now toward some examples, this is what all godly moms do. This is what all great moms know. That we, we must be a people who trust in the Word of God. All great moms and godly moms know that their abilities and their strengths and their energies and their efforts are not enough to make the complete ideal person. Great moms and godly moms know that they do not have it in them to produce what they desire to produce. There must be something stronger than just a mom. There must be the Word of God, the power of God. You know people who are the best moms in the world. You know people who have given it their all. You know moms that are exhausted, worn out, tired. 
They've given 110% for 30 years to their kids. And they're still worried about their kids. We need the Word of God. Mary knew this. Let it be to me according to your Word. This past week, Steph Curry of the Golden State Warriors won the MVP of the NBA, the Pro Basketball League. He got to give his MVP speech. He did a great job. He spoke to everybody. He pointed out every teammate, every person along his life, all his past coaches, and all of his family members. He spoke to everybody, his siblings, his parents, all of that. But when he came to his mom, he said, Mom, you are our spiritual anchor. Mom, it was you that kept us focused on the Word of God. Mary trusted in the Word of God. At verse 46, and I'm not going to read this yet, but at verse 46, Mary has what, they, what we call the Magnificat, which just means in Latin, magnifies, because that's the first word, my soul magnifies the Lord. But Mary has this like poetic thing where she's praising God. She is worshiping God. It's her response to this situation. It's an awesome response. But you read this passage and she is quoting so much from 1 Samuel. And if you read your Bible, you know that 1 Samuel is where Hannah, the great warrior lady Hannah, is barren and cannot have a kid. And she wants a child so badly. And the Bible says that Hannah is crying out to God. God, give me a child. Give me a child. Give me a child. And if You give me a child, I promise You, Lord, I will commit him to You and Your Word all the days of his life. When young Mary is told that she is a virgin and going to have a baby, her response is quoting the Old Testament word that she knew of a mother who was barren that couldn't have a kid that God gave a child to because she believed and she prayed. Notice that it's remarkable that Mary in that situation turns to quoting the Word of God of another lady who was given a child from God. It's unbelievable. Mary is so committed to the Word of God. Mary is so founded, established on the Word of God. She's quoting Hannah, another mother, from 1 Samuel. YouTube is, is now such a blessing to us. I know you like YouTube. You say you're going to get on there to watch one video in 15 minutes and 200 videos later, you're still watching them. YouTube recently changed it to where you don't have to pick the second video. Now they roll over. I don't know if you've noticed that. That way you can't get away from it. As soon as one ends, the next one starts. It didn't used to be that way, but now it is. One of my favorite videos to watch on YouTube that I recommend to you is Fernando Ortega, the song Give Me Jesus, special at Ruth Graham's funeral, Billy Graham's wife. Go look it up. It'll be like your favorite. You'll love it. It's him at the piano singing this song at Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife's funeral. And the video that I'm asking you to watch has parts of the funeral, the different people speaking. I love it. I listened to it again this morning to kind of push me toward preaching my heart out on Mother's Day this morning. Franklin Graham, one of Billy and Ruth's sons, speaks at the funeral and he doesn't say much. 
This was 2007. He says, she taught all of us children to love the Lord God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Mama. Folks, it gets me fired up. I've had a lot of conversations recently with my wife and with some others about the, the, the weight that you feel being a parent. I got a lot of desires that I want to be a parent. But none is even close to the desire to teach my kids to love the Lord God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want them to pull for the Tar Heels. I've already failed at that. They like the Cardinals. I want them to work hard. I don't know how you teach kids to work hard. But nothing's even close, I mean close, to wanting them to love God and trust God and know that His Word is the answer and that it's safe and secure. I want to configure my whole life, everything around them getting that. I want that to be who I am. I want them to get that. I want them at my funeral to say, he didn't teach me to throw a ball. He didn't teach me this. He taught me to love the Lord Jesus Christ. And Franklin Graham crying says, here's what my mom taught me. They're obviously successful. They're good at everything they do. The Grahams are. But he didn't talk about that. She taught me this. Another lady stands up to speak at the funeral and here's what she says about Ruth Graham. She was the lovely, beautiful, wise woman that she was. Because early in her life, she chose Christ as the center. Her center. Her home. Her purpose. Her example. Her vision. What a mother. Ruth Graham that people don't talk about so much because Billy got so much attention. Or gets so much attention. Here's a lady that trusts in the Word of God and has found a way to center her whole life around it. To which at her funeral people say she chose to make Jesus the center. And she says things like she chose to make Jesus her home. She chose to make Jesus her purpose, her example, and her vision. With Mary in Luke 1 we have, let it be to me according to your Word. She trusted in the Word of God. She accepted the life situation God gave her. She trusted in the Word of God. Lastly, Mary magnified the Lord, her Savior. Starting in verse 39, it says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Notice that Elizabeth already knows there that the one in Mary's womb is the Lord. Verse 44, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Again, Elizabeth points out in verse 45 
that what is a blessing is that Mary believed that God spoke that to her. Mary believed the word that God was speaking to her. Mary believed it. This is what Elizabeth points out. In verse 38, she says, let it be to me according to your word. In verse 45 says, blessed are you that you believe that. The trust in the word of God is the remarkable part here. It indeed is the anchor. Like we just read at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. And then Mary speaks up in verse 46 with this Magnificat. And look what she says. My soul magnifies the Lord. What would you have done if this had happened to you? Would you have worried? Would you have gone to the doctor to have a test? Would you have freaked out? Mary responds in worship. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Y'all, who needs a Savior? People who need forgiveness of sins. I don't know why so many people have gone wrong in, in, in thinking that Mary is immaculate. That she was sinless and that's why God chose her and that's what made Jesus sinless. That's wrong. That is so wrong. Mary's response here, like John MacArthur said, is crazy humility. She's thinking, why in the world me? I am not 100% right with God. I sin against God. I need a Savior. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Look what she says in verse 48. For He has looked upon the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And His mercy. She knows God to be merciful. She knows Him to be somebody who treats people not based off of their sins. Treats them based off His love and grace. He is merciful toward people. He forgives people. And He is using her despite her sinfulness. Mary magnifies the Lord her Savior. She goes on and on praising Him in worship. Mary knows that all of us need to get right with God. Mary knows that she cannot be the mother of a child, much more the mother of God's child, without the great mercy of God. Mary knows that motherhood is too large of a task to do in our own strength. Mary knows that even the best moms don't produce perfect kids. Mary knows that she needs the Word of God, that she must accept God's place for her, and Mary knows that she is dependent upon God, and she must be. It's the only solution. Utter and total dependency upon God. And so her reaction is to praise Him and to worship Him. Folks, it's not enough for us to want the best for our kids. A lot of times we, we, we tend to praise ourselves and our, our motherhood and our fatherhood because we so want the best for them. That should be natural. All moms should want the best for their kids. I know sometimes we may see moms that don't, and that's, that's a shame. That should be natural that you want the best for your kids. That doesn't mean that you're the best mom or even the right mom. Wanting the best for our kids is not enough. We want them to know God and love God. It doesn't make sense to want the best for them now and want the worst for them in eternity. 
It doesn't make sense to want them happy and healthy here and yet suffering in hell. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't want them to have the blessings of God here, but the punishment of God there. What is that? That's far from wanting the best for them. And that's far from being the right mother. Oh, how short we have fallen in fatherhood if the best days for my kid are here. Something has gone terribly wrong in my fathering if my kid's best days are in this brief vapor of a life. And yet, eternity is miserable for them. It's so real. It's so real. And when you go to a funeral and you watch people walk by and and tell their mom bye, it better be real there. Nobody's wanting the best for them now. Death is the ultimate at leveling the playing field and putting all things into perspective. It's not enough to want the best for our kids. We We must figure out what life is about, and it's God. It is to accept the situation God gave us. It is to trust in the Word of God, and it is to magnify Him as our Savior. He is the one who can make me right. He is the one that can wash me clean. He is the one to give my life purpose. He is the one who can cause me to accept what He's doing. Everything else will be frustrating to me. Mary magnifies the Lord. If you're here today and you are are thinking about motherhood and the mother you are, the mother you're going to be in the future, the mother you have been, let me assure you that it's never too late to get focused and centered on Jesus. Let me assure you that today, moving forward for the rest of your life, you can be one who is focused on God, who is trusting in Christ. You can magnify the Lord beginning today if you would believe in Him and make Him the center, like they said of Ruth. Charles Spurgeon is often quoted, and he's known as the greatest Baptist preacher ever in the 1800s in England. He died in 1892. He writes that fathers and mothers are the most natural agents for God to use in the salvation of their children. only makes sense. But then, and I was so thrilled to find this, he goes on to talk about his mother. What a gem. This man was awesome. A true man of God. He says, I'm sure that in my early youth, no teaching ever made such an impression upon my mind as the instruction of my mother. Many of you would say the same thing. That nobody has had as great of an influence on our lives, good or bad, for any any direction, than our moms. That's what he's saying. Neither can I conceive that to any child there can be one who will have such influence over the heart as the mother who has so tenderly cared for her offspring. But then he moves into what specifically she did. How can I ever forget her tearful eye when she warned me to escape from the wrath to come. You hear that, Val? That's us. We've got to be that. A mom crying to her son to turn to Jesus? To escape hell and the judgment? I thought her lips right eloquent. Others might not think so, but they certainly were eloquent to me when she said that. How can I ever forget when she bowed her knee with her arms about my neck and prayed, Oh, that my son might live before Thee, God. Nor can her frown be effaced from my memory. That solemn, loving frown when she rebuked my budding iniquities. And her smiles have never faded from my recollection. 
the beaming of her countenance when she rejoiced to see some good thing in me that turned me towards the Lord God of Israel. He says, I cannot tell how much I owe to the solemn words of my good mother. It was the custom on Sunday evenings while we were yet little children for her to stay at home with us. And then we sat around the table and we would read verse by verse and she would explain the Scripture to us. After that was done, then came the time of pleading. There was a little piece from a book called Alarm and another one called A Call to the Unconverted. And we would read this. And she would make pointed observations made to each of us as we sat around the table. And the question was asked, how long would it be before we would think about our state? How long before we would seek the Lord? Then came a mother's prayer, and some of the words of that prayer we will never forget even when our hair turns gray. I remember on one occasion her praying like this for us. Now Lord, if my children go on in their sins, it will not be from ignorance that they perish. And my soul must bear a swift witness against them at the day of judgment if they lay not hold of Christ. I love the example of Spurgeon's mom. Say what you want about that. Times have changed clearly. But there was one thing she desired most and none of us questioned it. And with Billy Graham's wife, there was one thing she desired most and nobody questions it. And with Mary, the mother of Jesus, there was one thing she desired most and nobody questioned it. I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to Your Word. May God move in our hearts today. Every one of us, starting with me and Valeria, that we would turn to Him and desire for our lives to be centered on God. That He might use us for more and more people, beginning with our children, to know and love Him. Jesus is worthy. He is Lord. And all who trust in Him will be satisfied. Let's pray together. Father, thank You. Thank You, God, for the examples. Ruth Graham, Steph Curry's mom, Charles Spurgeon's mom. God, thank You for Mary and her example to us as one who has surrendered to her Savior. Oh God, move in our hearts today that we would trust You that we would center our lives upon You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.